Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Welcome back to the Believe in Syracuse podcast, episode 47, coming off a 22 to 20 Syracuse win. They're now 4 0. I'm Michael Gross, joined by Josh Crawford and Mike McAllister. Guys, Syracuse is 4-0 and for the first time since that wonderful season where they went 10-3 and in 2018. And now we're looking at them as maybe a, a potential contender, except for the fact that this was a really sloppy game that they won. Yes, they should have won by much more than just two points, but they also could have lost by a lot more. First takeaways from this game uh, from both of you guys. Josh, you can go first here. Um, again, you talk about like veteran leadership, you talk about teams, like you look across the country, more applicable in basketball per se, like freshmen, just the physicality of the football just doesn't lend itself to freshmen being able to truly make an impact. But looking at like, this Syracuse team, guys like Kel, guys like Gary Schrader, you know, guys that have been playing college football at a high level successfully for multiple years, you know, they know how to win in tough environments. They know what to do when plan A is not working and plan B is not working. So while it doesn't look great, and you, we, you know, we're, we're going to talk later about, you know, there are some, you know, long-term issues we see with the way that they're playing. You like to see that, you know, a team for, you know, second week in a row against a team that, you know, again, another ACC opponent that you can find ways to win when, you know, Sean Tucker's not going, when Garrett Schrader's not looking his best. So it is, you know, a, a thing to where, you know, this team is – you're not underachieving. You're, you know – Punching above your weight per se. So while it doesn't look the best, you know, we just uh, it's just more solidification for the the grit and integrity that this team has. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. No doubt, and, you know, I think finding a way to win is an underrated quality because it's not something you can quantify. You can go in and say this receiver catches eight passes for 96 yards a game. We need to make sure we game plan for him, right? Where this guy's really good because he completes 74% of his passes. This guy's really good because he's averaging seven yards a carry. All of that's all well and good. You can't quantify sort of an internal quality of just understanding what you have to do to win a football game, regardless of, of circumstances. The last two weeks, it hasn't been Syracuse's most crisp effort. There were a lot of issues in this game, 12 penalties. Um, they came in as one of the only, only a few teams in the country that hadn't turned the ball over yet. They turned it over four times. Um, there were a lot of mistakes. They had, they lost uh, Justin Barron to a targeting penalty, not only their starting safety, but also their primary holder. And they had multiple field goal attempts after that. They lost Terry Lockett, a starting defensive tackle to injury. They were down Derek McDonald, who was a replacement for Stefan Thompson. Um, he didn't play at all because he got, he was hurt. So they were down to their third string linebacker. Despite all of these things, Garrett Schrader, not playing um, his best. Sean Tucker being stifled by Virginia's defense. They figured out a way to make the plays necessary at the end of the game to come out with a win. Syracuse is 4-0. Bring on Bama talk is not dead yet. And 
you know, I, I think uh, being optimistic and positive, even in an ugly effort, despite all of that, is is reasonable for Syracuse fans right now because, you know, last year they lost how many games by one score at one point of the season, lost three games in a row by three points exactly. This year, they're sort of doing the opposite of that and figuring out ways to pull these things out. Right, so... I'm going to start calling you Mike, bring on Bama McAllister because that's, that's right. What four weeks in a row now that we I'm going to keep it up until they lose. Absolutely. Well, you talk, until they lose, you talk about finding a way to win last week, Garrett Schrader, who was four of nine in the first half ended with 13 completions and still found a way to beat Purdue this week, a much better week in terms of completion percentage. He was 22 of 33, but it kind of looked like his decision-making lacked in in certain spots of the game, whether that was on him or whether that was play calling in general, not exactly sure, but 277 yards um, did throw uh, one pick, but he was sacked six times. And I think a lot of that, we can talk about how, how, how off the offensive line was of their game. They just, they, no, I def- they weren't on. No, it's definitely a thing to where <coughs> I noticed this even against Purdue you know, as a as a player, like you you have guys, quarterbacks have certain tendencies. Like quarterback is a it's a hard position to like quantify because there's only so many stats and so many different types of quarterbacks for the most part. The most casuals are gonna know dual threat and you know pocket passer. But there's way there's a whole lot of more different ways that a, a quarterback gets into his we reads the type of throw he is, the type of coverages he's comfortable against that you know make a quarterback a really good quarterback. You know, for Garrett Schrader, one of the things that I've been noticing, even since camp, and something I saw a lot against Purdue, that, you know, he vacates the pocket very quickly, even when there's open receivers. And that's the thing to where, you know, it can be a combination of, uh, it can be a lot of different factors. It can be an O-line that he, you know, can't, not trusting, which, you know, I don't know, he, he, he got six, he did get sacked six times last game, but up until, you know, the UVA game, he had been in a mostly clean pocket, you know, and it could be a thing to where, you know, we saw some very fast processing of windows from him, you know, week one to week two. Maybe defensive coordinators are starting to, you know, simply, you know, throw out some of the zone coverage concepts and say, you know, we're going to man up. We're going to put a safety in the middle. You know, we saw the throw that you were trying to make. You were making week one to week two. Keep making those throws. And, I mean, he has, you know, it's going to be hard to be the FBS offensive player of the week every week. You know, I don't think anybody expected that from him. So, you no, know, there was a natural drop off that I think we expected, but, you know, it has been a thing to where, you know, defenses have been challenging him and they, you know, you, you measure a quarterback by his wins and he's won every game. But in terms of, you know, how has he individually performed, there has been something left to be desired. There were some good signs in this game, especially early. The first few drives when he was hitting a Rondé Gadsden and he looked much more sharp. And then as the game progressed, it looked like that went away. Now, I think part of that was um, play calling and that they seemed to go away from Aronde Gadsden um, after he had such a big first half. Uh, Part of that was Schrader holding onto the ball a little bit too much at times. Um, And, you know, I think part of it was him missing open receivers. There were a few times when I saw Sean Tucker leak out of the backfield and he was wide open and, and, you know, we can't see the whole field, but they'd show the replay. And then you see the replay and see there was no one out there. He's got to be able to find those situations. Uh, and there's probably also some blame on the receivers not getting open as quickly as they should. I'm sure there's blame in multiple facets here, but um, there's, there's no question. He hasn't been in as sharp as the last two weeks. I think he would tell you that uh, the first two weeks were probably above what his norm is. The last two weeks are probably a little bit below what his norm is. So I think what you're hoping for as a Syracuse fan for the last eight games of the season is you'll start to see somewhere in between those as kind of the consistency week to week. Um, I think we've seen flashes of, of him being able to be that, but there's no question that he's got to be better um, as they start getting into some of the more difficult games in their schedule. Yeah. It's as a decision, maker, right, Josh, like it's as a decision maker. I don't think it was up to par as it was the first couple of weeks. I mean, I'm a, I like kind of what big Mike said, leaning into some of the receiver core deals. Like this is a very, this is a, we talked about there not being a true number one, you know, but you know, OG around the gas and has kind of emerged as that guy, you know, mismatched thread in the middle of the field, you know, outs corner routes, you know, bringing it out on, on out routes, 
you know, he's a weapon. He's a guy that you can trust over the middle of the field to catch the ball to make tough catches, and also a guy that you know can play Tony Tostap on the outside and be a mismatch threat. So there's not really any you know point on the field where you can't really give him the ball. But between you know Trevor Pena, Courtney Jackson, even a guy like Damon Alford, there's a, this is a little bit too much talent in this the receiver room for us to not have a solidified you know second guy yet. You know the kind of the thing about the receiver core going is was. You know, there's not going to be a solid guy, but there's going to be three to four guys that you can count on, you know, week in, week out. And that really hasn't been the case, honestly. You know, you're looking at OG and you're looking at a guy like, uh, you know, Coop that, you know, had a really good two first two weeks, kind of haven't, haven't really seen him, you know, after that. So I think a, a, a second solidified option in the pass game will go a lot for Garrett, you know, to look better. Because we can't lay it all at the quarterback's feet because we, we give him all of the blame. So we can't lay it all at his feet, too. Like you said, Big Mike, you know, some of the receiving core, they had to do better in terms of making themselves more present and uh, being more dynamic with the ball in their hands. And obviously a better uh, rushing attack would certainly help, too, so that he doesn't have to carry the entire weight of the offense on his shoulders. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because last year it was all about the run. Run, 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 run. That's, that, that's it. Now you bring in this new style of play with Robert and I, who had the leg up on his old team, Virginia, which is part of the reason why Syracuse won the game. Now it's a past first type of mentality and there's going to be growing pains, right? It's, it's not, you know, I guess you could call it, you know, the honeymoon phase in the first couple of weeks when everything was working, but once teams get film on you, once teams watch you enough times, they're going to start to see oh, the patterns. It's, it's going to be a lot more throwing. And you know, I mean, it was hard to stop the run last year, but the offensive line, I mean, but with everything that was going on this season, it looked like the offensive line was going to be, you know, locked down on, on Friday night, they were not locked down. Um, and, and I, I think that's been a, a trend that's been trending downwards since that Louisville game, you know, there's been gaps in, in, in different places. I guess we can now kind of sort of go on to injuries here because they did win this game, but it came at a cost and it came at uh, a cost of Terry Lockett, a defensive lineman who went down um, done for the season. It's a big hit to the defense that had already lost a linebacker in Steph Thompson. Mike, what did Terry Lockett mean to this team? And, and if, if there's anybody who can replace him? Yeah, I mean, he he's someone who came on last year at the end of the year and started getting significant snaps and then came into this year and him and, and Kayvon Darton were kind of the one-two punch there. They, they pretty much split time on the field 50-50. And, but Lockett's, he's a, he's a bigger body. Um, he is, you know, he's, he's a little bit longer than what Darton is. But he's, he's just a solid player. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be someone that's unbelievably spectacular, but eats up space. Um, he, he's got a good first step and uses his hands pretty well. Not the strongest guy in the world. That's something that's still developing. You know, he's still a, a true sophomore, but um, he, he gives, gives Syracuse someone that, that can do what they need to on that, in that 3-3-5 along the defensive line. And so losing him, while maybe, you know, on its face, is it, oh, you're not losing one of your stars, so you're fine, but that hurts your depth along defensive line. Now Darton has to play more, and I think Darton is good in, in certain spots and can be one of your guys that rotates in and out, but when you have to rely on a guy who's undersized, yes, he can give you the leverage battle in some in situations, but, you know, he's going to get pushed around in certain situations as well. So there's a give and take there for sure. But it's going to mean that someone like Elijah Fuentes, who doesn't have much experience, is going to have to come in, step up, and, and prove that he can play. But there's no question that this is a significant hit to the depth along the defensive line. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman's Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. It's that next man up men mentality, Josh. You know it. You know it. It's that next man up mentality. I mean, you know, as, as tragic as somebody losing somebody like T Lock is a guy that's a starter, especially as an underclassman, in, an interior lineman, offensive, defensive, you know, just the strength and the physicality is very hard to play 
any of those positions, O-guard, center, D-tackle, D-in, at, at a high level as underclassmen. So the fact that he's able to do that with not being one of these guys that you come off the ball, ball, coming off the bus looking at like Jadavion Clowney, it, it's super impressive. So, um, you know, KD, you know, like, uh, like Big Mike mentioned, he's definitely a guy that, you know, Yes, he's gonna be a guy that you 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 the more snaps you play, his his play will level off. Like he's gonna be a good in a concentrated amount of time, playing with energy, coming off the ball fast. But like you said, you're leaning to with him with him and T like splitting snaps, he was probably 35, 40 snaps. His his greater and his play honestly will probably dip if he's gonna look more to like 60 or 70. So um, you know, Tony White's gonna have to definitely be creative, you know, with that three three five in the defensive line. Don't it mean moving Caleb down to D tech, D tackle to play, you know, some three tech. Uh, looking at some of the younger guys like uh, Fuentes and Valer Baptiste to, you know, step up, um, play with JT Gear a little bit in the uh, three tech. I really wouldn't recommend that, you know, a six six D tackle. Just, you know, if you're not uh, uh, the Forrest Buckner, is really not the best thing. But um, he's gonna he's gonna have to be creative with how he gets pressure up the middle because that's one thing that quarterbacks really hate. He's going to call Josh Crawford and see if he's got any eligibility left. That's what he's going to do. Man, Just I, need, saying. I, need, I need to get, get my school paid for <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me find out something. Let's do it. Um, well, they also lost Justin Barron during the game, not to injury, however, uh, to a targeting call. Uh, this, is, this is about as controversial as it gets of a topic that thus far into the season. There were three separate instances – of a possible targeting during this game. Two of them resulted in a player being ejected. One of them did not. Mike, I know you feel very strongly about uh, this particular topic regarding Syracuse, Virginia. So I'll let you, I'll let you go for it. Um, Officials are nothing if not consistently inconsistent. And that's always my biggest problem. It's, it's not the rule. We can agree or disagree on the rule. It's, it's the, application of the rule within the same game inconsistent by the same crew and here's what i mean by that the third one the one that was on virginia was was one of their i think it was one of their linebackers and he hit garrett schrader that's an easy everyone in the world agrees that's targeting there's no question about that so we'll throw that one out there were two other ones the one with justin Barron. That one was where he was making a tackle. Kind of looked like he got the guy with the side of his helmet. Kind of looked like he got him with the front of his helmet. That's kind of iffy. It's not an egregious tackle, but probably technically meets the definition of what they're trying to get out of the game. So they call him for targeting and ejected. I disagreed with it because I don't think that's the spirit of what the rule is intending. However, what makes it even worse is the, is the one that they decided not to call targeting later in the game. Trevor Pena was returning a kick. <clears throat> As he's returning the kick, Virginia player comes down to tackle him, pops him, ball pops out, it's a fumble, Virginia recovers. This is early third quarter, and Pena twists, right, as, as he's, he's getting hit. But the Virginia player lowers his helmet, leads with the crown of his helmet, and hits Pena directly with the crown of his helmet. And that causes the big hit, the ball to pop out. Virginia recovers. And that was right after Virginia got their first touchdown. They made it 16-7. to That fumble gave them the ball back. They score seconds later, and all of a sudden, it's 16-13, I think, because they missed an extra point. So it's 16-13. Instead of it being 16-7, Syracuse gets the ball back with a chance to answer the score and stay in firm control of the game. Completely change the complexion of the second half. And the biggest problem is not only do I think that in a vacuum, the hit by Virginia is targeting because he lowers his helmet and leads with the crown of his helmet and contacts the other player with the crown of his helmet. That should be targeting in and of itself. But what you called Justin Barron for makes that a shoe-in. It has to be targeting if what Justin Barron did was targeting. So again, consistently inconsistent. Uh, I didn't agree with those two. I could have lived with Justin Barron if they called the one on Virginia on the hit on Trevor Pena. The fact that they didn't made the Justin Barron call even worse, in my opinion. And they've got to figure this out. It's not just an issue in this game. It's an issue across the sport, across the country, inconsistent application of what, of what targeting is and what it's not. 
teams losing really important players in big games. And then for the half of the next game, it's, they got to figure it out. It continues to be an issue. It's the NCAA. So they're not going to figure it out because they don't care about pretty much anything other than making money. So it's just one of those things I think we're going to have to live with and continue to be frustrated by. Yes. You know, I'm definitely partial to defensive guys is, you know, it's just frustrating to see how how tough they made it on you know defensive players to to learn how to hit you know and learn how to tackle re learn relearn how to tackle and how to know how to properly you know go out there safely as possible play football without you know the proper training because nobody said you know any of the NFL defensive players or collegiate defensive players down and said you know this is the new standard they just started for enforcing targeted penalties and started kicking guys out of games there was no training. Or, you know, runway for it. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't realize that. But, um, you know, Mike, I, get, I, I will kind of fight back on the uh, the kick return one. I definitely can understand that. But, again, it's my perspective till I lose it. As a defensive guy, you always, you know, offensive guys, if you see an offensive player's back, that's automatically a kill shot. No circumstances should you see an offensive player's back. Because, you know, think about the logic of the game. Why is your back to me? So, I can understand why the UVA guy did it. You know, and I understand why they didn't call it because I think the biggest thing about the target is they're trying to eliminate the helmet to helmet. And with offensive uh, offensive players back in turn, you automatically eliminate that unless, you know, I guess you could head not them. But that, you'll be really going to the extreme to do that. So um, I can understand why they didn't do it. And you know, I, can, I just understand that. But now the one on JB definitely frustrated me too because, like you said, that's not the spirit of the rule. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the Nick Jackson hit where, you know, impact over intent regardless of what it, he tried to do it looked very bad you know Jay, like you said with the one with Baron like definitely wasn't it was a it was a graze at best it wasn't even a thing to where I realized he got it was he was hit hard I was like with the stoppage of play I was like what's going on what, what was the play he it didn't look for. like anything exactly so I was like so that's that's just very frustrating with you know just being a defensive player you know talking to some of those guys on and off the record like it's an adjustment and that's that's a big thing for football. The, one of the biggest things that's come, you know, recently in the five that's past, the past five to ten years is player safety. But I just don't really think a lot of these officials understand how hard it is to be a defensive player with you already having all these different rules, and you know some refs are really ticky tacky about targeting. You know, so it, yeah, it's, it's really tough, and you know, cause like cause like a referees like on Saturday or Friday, they don't make it any better. I'll, I'll make two uh, responses to that one. I think it's important to note that nobody thinks that any of these guys are trying to hurt anybody. <clears throat> Even the, the, the one um, with the hit on Schrader that looked bad, it was clear. You could tell, especially from his reaction afterwards, he was not trying to hurt Garrett Schrader. But the problem is, as you said, how hard it is for defensive players, a defensive player could be taking the exact right angle, leading with the exact right part of his body, the offensive player lowers his helmet at the last second. And all of a sudden you're now in the wrong spot, despite the fact that you were doing everything according to the new form tackle. That's the position that they're in sometimes. And that's why I don't like ejecting a player for it in the, in the college game and then punishing them. If it happens in the second half of them being suspended for the first half of the next game, I would go more towards the NFL rule where it's a 15 yards unsportsmanlike conduct helmet to helmet whatever unnecessary roughness penalty give him 15 yards move on if, if it's me i would much prefer that as the rule than what they have in place right now no me too i, I think i i would i got a helmet i got a unsportsmanlike conduct i don't i think it, i didn't i i didn't ever get a targeting but it is like a thing to where you would see even in meeting rooms when i was playing like it was you that's a that's a penalty and like you said that's a that's that's a penalty you can put an asterisk by because it is you could potentially lose a guy for two games parts of two games start defense imagine what happens to this team you know i don't want to speak it over anybody but like you you can lose a star player over nothing literally somebody like you said the the jb hit was nothing and you just look at some of the other guys on this team with some of the depth and some of the injuries that we already had and you lose a guy for the wrong two quarters and it could you could really slow down a lot of the momentum you built up for this season. So it's at, at least Syracuse is playing Wagner next because yeah. if that had happened going into a game like NC State, like Syracuse is undefeated in, in the Atlantic right now. Syracuse versus NC State <laughs> this week would be a monster game for the Atlantic standings. So if you lost 
Justin Barron, God forbid, Mikel Jones, Marlo Wax for something nonsense like that. And you lost him for half of what could be, I mean, Syracuse beats NC State at home after their bye week. All of a sudden, Syracuse at Clemson could be the game that decides the Atlantic because NC State would have already had a loss. Yeah, right. right Yes. So, you know, the Wake has already lost Clemson. NC State could lose to Clemson this week. If those teams are undefeated going into that game, that could be the game that decides the Atlantic, and you could take one or two of Syracuse's best players, or it could happen to Clemson, Clemson's best defensive players, out of the game for the first half because of what looks like a routine tackle to basically everybody. That's the problem with the rule. There's too much power in the hands of officials to interpret something in super slow motion replay and say, oh, I think the tiny part of that helmet might have brushed against the tiny part of that helmet. Targeting, you're gone. It's They, they got to fix it. It's, it's hard to change old habits, but when you develop a new habit, old habits can sort of kind of fade out, which is something I'm trying to get at on the offense here. On the offensive side of things, they were a, a large rushing team last year. The rushing attack was fantastic. Now, as we talked about the passing game, the rush has not exactly been up to par or, or what we thought it was going to be. Part of that being Sean Tucker has not been on his game. There's a lack of, of a rushing attack. Um, they showed, though, that they can win without Sean Tucker on his game. But you talk about old habits when you form those new habits, right? Even even with the with the defensive stuff, Josh, when you when you have those old habits of when you learn the game, you learn to hit low, you learn to lead low, and it, and so it's hard to change that, right? When this Syracuse team was all about rushing last year, now they're going into passing. The rushing attack this year is not the same, and it's and it it's obviously something needs to change. Uh, before they end up playing NC State in order for them to even have a chance uh, of beating the Wolfpack. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, is you get into, like, you know, behind the shadows a little bit. There's a big difference between the third guy on the scouting report versus the first guy on the scouting report. It's a very big difference. Like, that's the, that's the jump that Sean Tucker has made, and, you know, the results are speaking for themselves. There's a big difference in, you know, First slide in the meeting room. The meeting just started. Hey, guys, put your headphones up. Come on, lock in. This is the guy you need to stop versus boom, boom, be mindful of that guy. That's a big jump in terms of game plan, just general awareness of guys, you know, mindset of, you know, checking with 34s in the game. Make sure know where 34 is lining up at. That's a big jump. So, you know, you can always expect a decrease in production from somebody that's having that level of tension but um you know it is kind of disappointing but no that's a thing to where you know Sean Tucker he he came, he came out of last season as the guy he wasn't the guy going into last season he wasn't mainstay on the game plan you know Gary Schrader had a little bit of you know mystery coming into you know the ACC for the first time and you know it is what it is but you know Sean is become is that guy that teams are saying that you know we're gonna stop you and let the, everybody else figure it out and you know it hasn't, he hasn't been able to break off one of those games to where, you know, 18 carries, 142, three tutties to where, you know, he's established himself against a consistent seven or eight man box. Well, uh, Wagner better watch out. Oh, yeah. He's going to oh. take out a lot of frustration on Wagner this week. This could be a game where he's got like seven carries for 192 yards and four touchdowns. I, I, I think he's going to have a monster game yeah, this week. Huh? But, um, I mean, I mean, Josh is right. The more that teams focus on you, the more difficult it is for you to get yours. Now, Syracuse can help that by being a consistently better passing football team because that allow that doesn't allow teams to put as many resources and eyeballs on Sean Tucker. You saw Virginia and Purdue, both and even UConn, honestly, put so much of their defensive attention on stopping. Sean Tucker, it did allow other things to be open, but they were betting on the fact that Syracuse was going to be less productive overall if they had to win and score and move the ball in other ways. Now, Syracuse could do some other things, I think, game plan wise to try to get the ball in Sean Tucker's hands. 
I thought the last couple of games and, and especially this one, they missed several opportunities to get him the ball as a pass catcher, get him the ball out in space. I also think they could do some more creative things with how they attack as a rushing offense. Some of these zone read things, I think they could do a little bit more. I think they could try to get Sean Tucker a little bit more out on the perimeter instead of just running him right up the middle all the time. And it seemed like, especially against Virginia, it was like the same two running plays right up the middle every single time until the last drive. The last drive, they did a little bit more with off tackle, um, you know, maybe some options where he had to read the hole and decide where he wanted to go. And he had two of his best runs on that last drive. He had a nice catch on that last drive. So it isn't a huge surprise that once they started featuring him in some more creative ways, that's when Syracuse for the first time, really in the second half, they consist, they just easily moved the ball right down the field, got in the field goal range and kicked the game winning field goal. So I think doing some more things like that week in and week out will help some of that. Uh, but the best way to do that consistently is going to be showing other teams. You can't just focus on him and take away our ability to be an explosive offense. I would like, I don't know. I would argue that's probably the best strategy for a defense coordinator because, you know, call it what you want, but he's a guy that still knows manufacturing 20 touches and about 89, a hundred yards from scrimmage to where, you know, you can still, any back, any back in Power Five is going to call that a you know a decent game and walk away with it. You know, obviously Tuck is a Heisman candidate, very ballyhooed or whatever. But you know, he is the game plan. He's still putting up production. It's just not to the level that we expected. So, you know, honestly, I expect defensive you know coordinators to keep imploring this. I just think that we're all waiting and expecting you know a game of sorts where he kind of just breaks through. Like I don't care how many guys are in the box, I, I'm gonna get this 150, and you're not. You know, I'm gonna take this to the easy. I'm gonna be pleased. And I think Syracuse's schedule also hurts because if you look at, I think Purdue's defense, uh, run defense is better than people think. Um, and I think Virginia's is a lot better than their front seven is a lot more athletic in, in um, they're faster than, than what I was expecting a little bit more physical. So, you know, I, I think those take those into, into account. And then you start looking down the schedule, they've got Notre Dame, which we know has a bunch of dudes on defense Clemson, which has a bunch of dudes on defense. NC State has some dudes on defense. Um, Florida State's got some dudes on defense. So you're starting to go against some teams with very talented defenses that are going to be focused on shutting him down. So, yeah, you still need to find ways to get him the ball, and he's still got to touch the ball a certain number of times per game, and he can still affect the game even when he's not being overly productive, and there probably is some – wait, I'm expecting Sean Tucker to run for 250 yards every single game, you know, uh, over-exaggerated expectations that that's part of why people are maybe viewing his performance so far in a, saying it's a little bit disappointing. But, you know, Syracuse's offense still has to have him be productive, and I think there's there's other things that they can do to, to try to combat what teams are, are trying to take away. See, see I kind of thought it was less about the, the defense – on the other side of the ball and more about how Syracuse is blocking and their offensive line just hasn't been what we expected them to be this year. Right. At least, at least on, on Friday, if I had to single one person out that had, that did not have a good game, Matthew Bergeron did not have a good game. Um, granted, there are plenty of guys uh, who all around didn't have a great game, but I, I kind of thought that I think the offensive line has been slacking a little bit. They're not really blocking for for Tucker or even for Schrader, for that matter. They're not really giving him the same type of time that they did earlier uh, in the season. Yeah, th this was the first game I thought where the, the offensive line struggled with pass protection to to a large degree. As Josh mentioned earlier, they've done a pretty good job at giving Schrader a clean pocket for, for most of, of the season. Um, you know, you could make an argument that the run blocking hasn't been to the same level as last year. But I think part of that is... Um, you know, Carlos Vettorello last year got hurt and they had to bring in Josh Aloa as, as the center. And he kind of played um, for, for chunks of the season. And, and they had a couple of guys in and out and, uh, you know, rotating some guys, but um, it, it could simply be that this line is better at pass protection than they are at run blocking and perhaps have a little bit of a weakness, um, you know, in interior run blocking as a result of who you've got out there. But, you know, it's, 
it's one of those things where I think as teams continue to focus on Sean Tucker, Syracuse has to figure out ways to combat that with, you know, seven, eight man boxes and how they're going to get the ball to Sean Tucker with the opportunity to make plays in space. And, you know, if that means that the offensive line has to block better, I certainly think that that's part of it. Um, But yeah, pass protection wasn't great in this one game. It's not something I'm overly worried about moving forward because I did see them perform at a a pretty strong level in the first three games. If it happens against Wagner, we'll have big red flags. But And then if it starts happening consistently after that, we'll have more red flags. But as of now, I'm more concerned about the interior run blocking than anything else. No, I mean, you know, Matt, I definitely saw Matt get beat a couple times by uh, what, Cam Butler for UVA a couple times. Uh, number 82 on the D-line is very unique, so he definitely stood out. But that was the first time I seen somebody beat him one-on-one um, pretty convincingly, pretty easy. Like some of the guys from Louisville, like yeah, Seam Abdullah, like you know, he, like you said, he, the the pass pro had been had been pretty much ideal up to this season. So it was kind of weird to see Gary like under a lot of contest, a lot of un, a lot of under a lot, I under a lot of pressure. But um, you know, the run game, you know, you can talk about working off tackle. I think there's you no know, validity to some of the things that you offer. But at the end of the day, you know, O line demon, I definitely definitely know the the run game is about it's, it's a people moving business. I, this guy's in that gap. He's gonna either be in my way or I'm gonna be in his way, and it's gonna it's it's, a, it's not a lot of you know complexity to it. You know you can do like you said off tackle, outside zones, you know speed options, and I do think that would be a good way to incorporate it. But when you're move you're, when you're missing one of your best people movers for the season, not only does it help, not only does it affect the fact that you know you got one last guy that you can that can clear people. That's the mentality. Like, that's why, you know, offensive coordinators, you know, they try to, at least my days, it sounds so old, you know, you try to establish the run game because you want to get those offensive linemen firing off. You, you know, pass pro can be a, you know, a passive thing to where you're setting and taking on blocks. You know, the run game is, you know, it's a little bit more aggressive. You're firing off on guys. You're being, you know, proactive as an offensive lineman. So, you know, with Rhino being down, that's the thing to where, you know, I talked to some of the guys on the team, that's having an effect, and that's the thing, you know, Rhino fullback is not a you know a sexy position per se, but there's a reason why you your fullback wasn't captain on this team, and now it's kind of starting to show. Forty-seven year old Josh Crawford. <laughs> I definitely do like. I mean, teams don't like to run the ball. I was even watching USC. Like, man, is this this seven on seven? Like, are they gonna run the ball? Like, God, Caleb Williams sucked, and he still threw it like fifty times. I mean, first it was me old with the oatmeal raisin cookies, and now it's <laughs> with the loves this run game. I mean, we have a target demographic, man, and we are <laughs> trying to hit it. Hashtag run the ball, man. Absolutely. Um, looking forward, I, I mean, if you kind of look in the weeks ahead, right? They play Wagner next week. They do have a week off, which I think might help them kind of take perfect time. Back their game. Yeah. I think it's a perfect timing because you have uh, an easier game against Wagner. You can, you can literally just pound them into the ground, which is what I think everybody is expecting them to do. And then you can take a week to figure out, okay, what is it that we did not do well throughout those first five weeks that we need to fix by the time NC state comes up to the dome. So I, I think looking forward, it, I think it's going to be a lot on the offensive end. It, that offensive line likes to move a lot before the ball is snapped. There are a lot of penalties on them. The defense, I, I thought the defense is, is fairly good. I mean, Garrett Williams and Michael Jones uh, won ACC player of the week at their respective positions this week. Um, it's what the third, the third time in four weeks that an orange linebacker has, ha, has had the award Jones is the second straight week. Marlo wax uh, won it in week one. So I, I mean, the defense has been, about as good as you could ask for uh, earlier. I mean, it, there's definitely rooms, room for improvement, but even without Steph Thompson, I thought they performed pretty well. So looking forward, what is it that this team kind of needs to hone in on? I mean, just, I'm bad. just to get into like really, you know, geeky. I like, you know, Big Mike. You know, that was a really good analysis, and that's really, you know, geeky football stuff talking about, you know, different offensive line concepts. You know, for me, going into camp, you know, Big Burge and, you know, Caden Ellis are really, you know, 6'5", six, six, though 350, definitely like a road grader type of offensive guard. 
you know, got some stars as a true freshman last year, you know, from a, you know, a powerhouse program in Hawaii, you know, he kind of impressed me with some of his light feet in the past, in the, in preseason camp. That's why I know that they really wanted him to start, but you know, he's a guy that, you know, you're definitely going to try to watch what he eats in the weight room. Cause he's definitely tipping scales about three forty, three fifty. You know, he's getting him and Bird should definitely be able to get downhills on guys in that five tech and that three tech on a pretty consistent basis, in my opinion. If they're the guys that they say they are and the way that they play that I've seen, you know, and that's just, you know, you have you have better sides of a line. It's okay. You know, Chris Blythe moving from center to guard last year, you know, especially center and the interior lineman, those guys really had to be in sync on those combination blocks and you know, this communication in general. So you have a better side of your line which it looks like should be your left side. You know, Matt has had, like you said, Gross, has had a problem starting to play on time. But when, you know, when they're locked in, does, they can get most guys out of that, uh, that BNC gap for, for Sean. I think that that's something that they should probably be able to focus on, you know, working some more off-tackle stuff or more, working some more inside zone stuff, you know, not A, not a to A, probably like A to B, you know, on this side of the, the line. So, you know, use, use your personnel, KYP. And I think that, if you got a left side with those guys, I think that you should be able to get moving on the consistent basis. I look ahead to the Wagner game, and I look at it as a get-right game. Yeah, the last two weeks, offense has been inconsistent, we'll say, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, defensively, I don't think anyone's really worried about them defensively. Even with the injury to Terry Lockett, we know that they've got dudes in the secondary. We know they've got dudes at the line and linebacker, and the defensive line has been pretty good so far this season. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a concern there, and, and you're going to need somebody to step up. But largely, my big questions are, can they be more consistent offensively? And a game against Wagner is where they can get back into rhythm, start feeling good about themselves again, start feeling themselves again, right? Have Sean Tucker have a big game. Garrett Schrader has a big game. They come out at halftime. And then you get some of those younger guys, uh, some valuable in-game reps on both sides of the ball. Get some of those depth guys like, Elijah Fuentes, right? He's going to have to play a lot for, for Terry Lockett for the rest of the season. So maybe you play him three quarters of this game and just say, you're out there and you're the guy you're playing all game because those reps are extremely important to him. Uh, so you have your get right game. Then you have a bye week where you can get healthy and get prepared for a really big game against NC state. And then for the rest of the season, it's, figuring out ways to win. We're going to analyze where's the weaknesses, where do you need to improve? If you win every game 22 to 20 and it looks ugly as hell, it doesn't matter if you're winning every game. But, you know, so you got to figure out after you beat Wagner and after you get to your bye week, get one more win somewhere, and then everything you get on top of that is gravy. And if you keep stacking them after that, now you got yourself a shot to play in a pretty – pretty prestigious bowl game and if you figure out a way to beat nc state now you're going down to clemson with a chance to perhaps assert yourself as the top team in the atlantic and it becomes real interesting but um you know get right this week take your week off get healthy get ready to go for the last seven games and and see how it plays out if, if i'm syracuse that's how i'm approaching it all right yeah, I guess, yeah no no go josh go josh I'm just saying these guys, you know, even in the mindset since, you know, the Louisville game and just the things that they've been saying like that, you know, with that, that, that particular, I guess, comment, like you said, stacking one more after the Wagner game and just trying to everything else being gravy. That's definitely not the mindset they're going into with, you know, again, this is, this is a guy, a lot of guys, you know, they have, they play more college football than they have left. Talking about Kale, talking about Garrett, talking about, you know, a lot of the guys on this team, you know, there are some younger guys, but when your stars are veterans, the urgency to win is amplified exponentially. So, you know, these are guys that are looking, I would say, at least probably eight, nine. You know, Wagner, they're going to say what they want, but they're definitely marking it up as a dub. And, you know, NC State, that's another game that, you know, honestly, we looked at the Louisville game is like a team that's had your number. This could be a potential, you know, um, program-defining win. I love, you know, how we like to term the knowledge like that. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that, at this point, you know, eight is probably the the, the bare minimum that they'll be they're accepting. You know, no, I, I, I predicted them to, to beat Notre Dame, and Notre Dame just looks worse since the preseason. And, you know, you talk about a rough stretch. You know, Pitt has a really good running back. 
not much else around it. So, you know, as you get through the season, teams look better, teams look worse. It's not the same strength that it was right before the Louisville game. So, I, you know, I would say eight, eight and out. Once you get to eight, then you can start to, huh. But till you get to that, that eight number where you're really looking like not only a bold team, but like my solidified, solidified in the mix for the top 25 conversation, then you'll be, who? Bring on Bama. Bring on Bama. I, I mean, I guess that is. I wonder if anybody's going to make a sign. If you're listening to this and you're going to the game, please make a sign that says bring on Bama, like against Wagner. And then in the the game following that two weeks later against NC State, please make a bigger sign after we're already 5-0 and that says bring on Bama. Oh, one thing that we, we didn't touch on that I just wanted to just mention here. Um, Syracuse was ranked 25th in the coaches poll, coaches poll. but not in the AP poll. They're 30th in the AP, essentially. So, yeah, through votes, they're 30th. Yes. I mean, I'm not upset. They didn't exactly convincingly beat the last their last two opponents, but I, I still think that they have a ways to go if they want to be in a top 20, top 15 conversation. You know, they have to go out and beat NC State. They have to go out and, you know, take down Pitt on the road. Right. Like they, that, that's, those are the types of things that they have to do. Um, I mean, I, I don't exactly want to look at the Clemson game and say, oh, they have to beat Clemson because I don't know how realistic that is, but um, it's not. But yeah, as you're shaking your head there, Mike, but, um, but I'm just saying, you know, you have to go out and beat some of the teams that are a bit closer, uh, you know, on the level that you can reach. NC State. I think that a lot of people are looking at NC State has really gotten off to a good start. You know, Devin O'Leary, Heisman Kennedy, Woot Woot. You know, there's already one Heisman Kennedy in the ACC that's, you know, been taken down. Shout out to my hometown, MTSU Raiders, baby, getting that big win in Miami. But um, like I just said, the season can facilitate very quickly. So, you know, I don't think – I don't know if the best team NC State has faced. I watched them against ECU. I don't know if they faced super quality competition. But, I, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, 5-0 and oh, you know, you probably will be right at this point, at least, you know, inching closer to it. You know, you we should we should be expecting at least within a touchdown, obviously, the NC State game. You know, that's not a perennial big dog within the ACC, per se, like a Clemson or um, ACC. You know, ACC football is what it is. We, we, we love basketball season. I'm NC State's best win is Texas Tech. Uh, that's, okay. that's a solid win. A team but. that barely beat Texas, a team that we're trying to see if they can even get back. So – not super impressive. And and they blew out UConn like Syracuse did. Uh, they blew out Charleston Southern like Syracuse is going to blow out Wagner. And then they barely won at East Carolina. So so basically the only difference between us and New Carolina State is they actually started the season right. They started the season ranked, right. They just and and that's, that's what the nature of the polls is, is if you're ranked higher to start the season and you have a similar resume, you're going to be ranked higher at that point of the season. That's just the way it goes. So, you know, Syracuse in the polls, they beat Wagner. They have their bye week. They'll probably be ranked in both polls at that point. You beat NC State. Now you're solidly in the top 20, and you'll probably be there for a couple of weeks, even if you lose a game. So that's that's what you're looking at um, from, from a Syracuse perspective as far as the polls go. All right. Um, I guess my question of the day was going to be, should they be ranked in the AP top 25? Um, but I think we're all on the same page in saying you could flip a coin if they should, if they shouldn't. Um, I don't think any of, any of us definitively – would could say uh, either side whether they should or shouldn't unless either of you has a different i'll say by resume i think they should they've they're not only four and oh but they've beaten three power five teams there's not a lot of teams in the country that can say that but if you understand the nature of the polls and how they work in that when you're further off the radar as syracuse and i know a lot of people are saying kansas should have been ranked this week when you're as far off the radar going into the season as Syracuse and Kansas were, it's going to take you longer and you're going to have to do more to get the recognition than a team like Penn State, who was ranked, they win one game and jump up into the top 15. That's that's the nature of branding. That's the nature of being far off the radar and not being good for long periods of time. That's just how everything works. No, that's true. Like you said, it's definitely not a definitive thing. Ah, I'm looking at this. 
Monday night football game, NFC East football starting to look like Big Ten, Big Ten football for me. Very, very, very sleepy. Very much so. But, you know, we, you know, Big Sky Crawford already talked about the deserve what you earn category. You know, it is the nature of the polls. Coming from 75th versus a team that was probably preseason ranked 30th, there's a reason why your preseason ranking determines, you know, how, how far you are in the polls with your place in the you know, CFP. Not a whole lot of things. People measure what you do in the offseason and how good you were last year. It factors into how good you're supposed to be next year. So it makes sense. But, you know, yeah, after a bye week, after a win against Wagner, after a bye week to where somebody ranked will probably lose, you know, the nature of college football, you know, you can't be – then it should probably be a definitive yes and a uh, understanding for, you know, reasons why they should be. So. Keep winning and it'll all work out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think this week – I think this week, Mike, I'm going to – uh, I'm going to join the watch party. I think this is the week I, I stay home. I'll join the watch party. There is no watch party this week. There's no watch we, party. No, we can't. We can't do um, when it's on ACC network extra ESPN plus that's not compatible yet. Um, so still working on that. And plus I'm taking uh, my son to the game this week. Oh, so, yeah. I'll see you there. I'm going to go to the game too. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be sitting up in the nosebleeds, hanging out with all the, the good fine people of central New York. But uh, NC State game will definitely be um, back on the live stream. Uh, then, uh, then that one I'll probably be on the live stream for. Anyway, um, all right, I guess that's it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we'll be back later in the week with uh, Wagner preview. It won't probably be as in-depth because I think we're all you know, knowing what the outcome of that game is going to be. But maybe we'll make some predictions, some outlandish ones, some hot takes, some cold takes. You never know. All right, thank more you. pop culture stuff. You feel what I'm saying yeah. a little bit of no diversify. You feel what I'm saying yeah. everybody likes a little a little funny content. Question of the day, my growth type of stuff. You know we're we're bigger than sports, baby. We're bigger than sports. Why is Mbop by Hanson the greatest pop song of all time? We can discuss that. Oh my god! Wow. Now you just win. All right, all right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Believe in Syracuse podcast. We'll see you later this week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.